Welcome to Talking Sense, the podcast where we discuss all things detection dogs. Broadcasting from Scent City, Las Vegas, and the Silver State Canine Training Center, your host, Cameron Ford. Hello and welcome to episode two. I'm your host, Cameron Ford, coming to you live from Scent City, Las Vegas at the Silver State Canine Training Center. Today's episode is another episode I recorded at the CNCA conference in Palm Springs. This one, I got to speak with the founders of Nosework, Amy Hero and Jill Marie O'Brien. On this episode, we go into detail about canine nosework, the sport, the program, the past, the present, the future, everything involved, types of dogs, types of people, what to expect, some misconceptions to understanding really why the program exists. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Look forward to your feedback. Send me your emails to Ford at SilverStateCanine.com. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to Talking Sense. It's okay to be nosy. We are here at the 2019 CNCA conference in Palm Springs. And on today's episode, I have two of the three original founders of Nosework. Um, and I want to thank you guys, Amy Hero and Jill Marie O'Brien, for coming on the show and talking to us about Nosework and things like that. Uh, both of you have a vast experience when it comes to detection. You both have worked dogs professionally. Uh, I know, Amy, you did explosive and Jill narcotics, and you guys have both won awards in this. So you have a good foundation not only of the professional side of what we do in detection, but now how you guys have been a part of creating nose work. So tell me what you guys first envisioned when you guys created nose work. What was the goal or what was the plan, and how did you guys go about getting there? Well, it was kind of a long tra- story. Why, why don't you? I think one of the things that came of uh, the three of us training a lot together, one of the things that probably a lot of other professional people have been asked to do is evaluate a dog for detection. So certainly our connections with the shelter world and a lot of dogs we saw, like German Shepherd Rescue, there were always people you know, asking us to look at a dog. And certainly we saw dogs that, when we evaluated them, loved their toy or loved searching but they had bad hips or they were eight years old or they and um we just reflected upon the fact that it was so sad that there wasn't a place for dogs like this to have an outlet for something they clearly enjoyed doing and that's kind of what started the wheels turning on what we could put together from just you know how we start dogs could we just play around with that idea yeah and and from what i've seen on the professional side of things the unique part is like you said, you're able to do something with dogs that people you know, may not have done without that option being there. The dog would still be in the house or wouldn't be able to find a function. So this is something I just seen from the professional side of the aspect is how many people, no matter what breed you have, what the dog experience level is initially, you, can, you have an outlet now to go do something interesting with your dog. So what has been the i guess this kind of ties to what you just said but what's been the most rewarding aspect about creating nose work and doing nose work um i think i'll take this one a little bit and then i i know amy probably has her own perspective um and you know kind of going back to when we first uh started or kind of uh putting something together that was more concrete that you know because obviously people like to have like well what is this you know what are we doing something that was more concrete but i think 
the rewarding piece of it is, is somebody that worked and ran a, um, an animal behavior training um, uh, department at a large shelter where we sort of started our first classes is to actually see dogs and see the behavioral benefits, not not because we're looking to create the next greatest search dog, mm-hmm. but the the transformation of dogs mm-hmm. that were written off. Yep. Um, going from sometimes you can see them starting, and some of them were shelter dogs, or some were rescues, or some were even owned that have just had issues going from being um, just not even able to function out in the, the world yeah. to now all of a sudden coming in to a warehouse, you know, two years later and doing you know, a mega search or something. And you're like, wow, I can't believe that's the same dog. And, and sort of how we really advocate for how, how to build the dogs through that process, that it's not actually about the detection or the target odors or anything. It's about this more holistic and organic approach. And I think that's probably the most rewarding thing for me is to see these amazing transformations. And then it doesn't matter whether you have a Malinois that was selected for detection Mm -hmm. or, you know, a dog that was written off Somewhere in the end, it all evens out. Absolutely. And, and you bring up a good point. People can bring that dog who maybe had been more reactive because they weren't going anywhere. It's right. now coming out and being in an environment, being around people, being able to actually address the issue, being around other dog people who know how to help you with that versus kind of being off in your own little space. All right. Ostracized, where you yeah. don't get any uh, good feedback on and support that you need to create safe environments so your dog can say, hey, you know what? This is not going to kill me, and it's not unsafe for me. And as we know, dogs don't function well when they feel insecure. Sure. So I think that's a. I think for me that's a big part, and it's why I stay involved in doing the shelter stuff and really promoting it. The methodology of canine nose work, separate from the sport competition side, as an, uh, a way of um, enriching dogs in shelters and kennels. So uh, that's been kind of the, the thing that's really stayed with me so much. Sure. Yeah. Anything you want to add? I, I think that the one of the most rewarding things, and I, I know I speak for Jill as well on this, and I know this is how Ron felt, is that we, the approach that we have, like Jill said, it wasn't about um, a technique necessarily. It was mm-hmm. about adapting to the dog in front of you, be it a Bichon or a Whippet mm-hmm. or a High Drive Malinois or an Irish Wolfhound, yeah. that they all have noses. And to the rewarding part was to help people through the way we do it be educated about who their dog is mm-hmm. and to respect dogs in in understanding that their nose is their worldview yep. the same way that our eyes are to humans sure. and I think people get to know their dogs in an entirely different way as a professional yourself and certainly anybody any nose worker out there or any professional knows yeah. that the partnership bond that you have in detection is like no other. And I do, you know, protection sports and sure. obedience and other high-level stuff, which is is rewarding in a different kind of way and mm-hmm. a different kind of partnership. But to fully put your trust in the dog mm-hmm. without you, even though it's a team, they're really taking the lead versus everything else they do in life. Absolutely. And I think it's very rewarding as somebody who cares greatly about animals to give some power over to the animal, that that is a very mutually rewarding situation. I completely agree. And coming from that professional side, it pushed me to do things very differently, to adjust dramatically to the type of dog I'm working because like you guys said, you know, sometimes you're getting that nice professionally selected dog and you know it's got all these characteristics to do, but then you're getting to work with dogs that 
you wouldn't even consider before, but now can do basically the same thing because detection is detection when it comes to that you're seeing a dog that you would not think that could find certain odors or odors in general at all that can actually do really well. So it, it, it required me to make adjustments and I look at myself being better overall by being involved in it. So, you know, from my point of view, the professionals that get involved in it, as long as you have an open mind and you're willing to take the take everything in you see and be willing to adjust and make some things different than what you're typically used to, you're going to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. So what has been the hardest thing you guys have had to do when it comes to, or as this program has grown, what's been the hardest thing as you've gone to, your trials or tribulations, I would say? I think one thing is people losing sight because the nature of human beings and competition and the very thing yeah. that we started and promoted, the competition, people lose sight. Mm-hmm to what was at the root of our initial mission, which wasn't about uh, just a particular path, but to find a way to make something available to the widest range Mm -hmm. of dogs and people, Mm -hmm. to to get away from selecting the perfect dog, even though I realize now at high-level competition, people do want to... Now they want to select, just like people with agility (laughs) want to select border collies. Yeah. Yeah. But... The, the idea of exploring this still with whatever breed you have and just finding your personal best. So I think the hardest part is, I think, you know, any naysayers maybe are just missing that message from us instead of thinking that we're in one direction for a certain reason instead of what's really behind it. Sure. sure. Yeah, I, yeah, I want to I agree. I think that a lot of it is a misconception about people have assumptions of what they think we're for or what we're against yep. without... And they get sort of messages and information from, like, not even the third party. There's a, like, tenth party, like, you know, feedback. Telephone game. Yeah. Yeah. And then sort of, like, (laughs) you know, like, look, we wanted to just bring something to people and dogs that uh, kind of created a different way of building a relationship. Um, And it's, again, it's more than just having a a search dog or a detection dog. It was uh, this... It's an exploration. Whole, it was an exploration. It's like, what what would your dog be like? Who would your dog be? Is if you just got out of the way and stopped trying to manipulate the dog and just standing back and watching who they are, and then when you step back in, you move in more as a partner as opposed to the controller, you know? And I yep. think, but the way that that message sort of has come across, it's like, well, they, they don't like this and they're against it. And yeah. I think that's kind of been personally the hardest thing. Sure. Um, and... You know, sometimes there are things like it wouldn't be my choice to use that tool or technique or gadget, but I understand its application, sure. why it works in certain things. Mm-hmm. And I think that's probably been, you know, and obviously just on a practical sense, managing, you know, it's two components of one organization, which is we have the competition trial side. And, se- you know, separate from that, we have a whole education division that trains instructors mm-hmm. that focuses more what on our original training mission was mm-hmm. and how to develop the dogs and how we envision it being. And so that's caused a little bit of confusion for people because sure. they kind of blend the two things together. And so the trial side is open to anybody with any method that they want to train mm-hmm. to come in and compete because that's what a competition is. Sure. Put your thing up against my thing, yep. right? Absolutely. You know, but for us, the education piece and the instructor course and certification is about believing in the philosophy and original message and if okay. that's where people are at then then they kind of become part of that that mission and that that sort of uh, uh, movement forward so that I think has been um, one of the other challenges but 
such minor challenges when you really get to see so many amazing teams out there. You know what's probably been harder is the whole thing, mm -hmm. because you think we start started with this little class of and six it, dogs, yeah, and it just <laughs> mushroomed so fast. Yeah. And the thing is, when we started, there were a lot of names. Oh, you can't do that. You can't have that with uh -huh. even even Ron. Sometimes was like, really, we're gonna do a competition? <laughs> like what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and I think it was surprising for everybody to. Um, they heard about it, and then everyone wanted to do it. But we had to train the officials. We had to write the rules of the sport. We had to educate the judges to what was different about our odors and how we set hides and develop the standards. And then we had to educate instructors so people yep. could do the classes. Because, again, we, you can't – now that people are so much more knowledgeable mm -hmm. about nose work and we, we put that base out there, they can apply a lot of other techniques. Sure. But the reason people, I think, hadn't done this before is – you can't just push detection techniques on yeah. some frightened, you know, oh, little yeah. Yorkie from yeah. the shelter. I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> you know, hawk a, like a <laughs> Kong toy yeah. head, yeah. which has actually happened to some yeah. some of the teams that we've dealt with, and we've gone to know the handlers and the people, and um, they're, you know, they're poor dogs, you know. What worked great for some, you know, high-powered mouth. My dog loves getting bonked on the head. Sure, you know, yeah. yeah, throw that toy at me harder. Yeah. But some other dog that's more sensitive, you know, that created issues. And so, um, you know, it's just kind of just like this interesting thing. It's like not everything is always going to be appropriate for every dog, every dog, but what can reach the most number of dogs doing the least yeah. amount of, like, trauma. And just keeping <laughs> up with the demand of the growth and the interest. Growth. Yes. And yeah. trying not to lose our message in that. Sure. I think that's really sums up the challenge. Yeah, 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 not losing the message as it becomes. And it is diluting because it's Bigger now growth. popping, at, like, the sports side, yep. where a lot of our original com uh, participants, whether instructors or competitors, started at the ground level. So they were part of a sort of a a foundational culture for, 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 for our guests it's we are outside recording the, the podcast so we get extra noises here and there but it's no big deal we are in a studio we're actually sitting outside by a golf course <laughs> where we get to have what is the end of january and it's you know, we're outside 80 degrees, so we feel sorry for those of you that are going to be, you know, in snowbound. So snow, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're out here in sunny Palm Springs, California, enjoying this weather, doing this podcast here. So yes, in our will, short sleeves. Yeah. Mm. Well, so you will get some background noises. You're going to hear some extra noises. So we wanted you guys to know that. But I can I say, addressing you guys, what you guys talked about, I have seen firsthand is you guys are very inclusive. There, there isn't just the one way to do it. You guys endorse overall. The, it's, it's an inclusive thing. No matter you do it this way or that way, you guys set up your standards, like you said, and those standards have to exist for the program to have a foundation and to have clear rules. But as yeah. long as you're operating with that, it's completely open to do these things that you guys want to do in detection sports. So you guys are more than, you know, I can say, like I said, don't ever be shy. Don't let what you hear through the grapevine mm. dictate anything. Because it is a very all-inclusive program. Go ahead. Well, we appreciate say, that. I, I'm <laughs> sorry. I think that it was uh, my son is trying to call I'll me. Call you. So I was like, sorry, I can't <laughs> talk right pause. now. Can we hit pause yeah. for a sec? So those of you who are interested in getting to nose work, one of the common things that comes up is, well, what age can my dog be when I start nose work? So what would you guys, what's a good recommendation for someone who has a young dog that wants to get into nose work? What's some advice you guys could give them? Well, if you're coming to the 
lecture that I'll be doing at the end of uh, mm -hmm. CNCA and our joint NACSW symposium venture, um, I think that it depends on how you start a dog that mm -hmm. makes part of that difference. Um, certainly for a lot of our instructors that we have at NACSW that work out there, there might be in group classes facility requirements. Yeah. Um, you know, whether it be a rabies vaccine or shots or the mm -hmm. kind of facility it's at. That, so a lot of times dogs aren't getting started till later. But I think they, 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 they start the day they are born. Yeah. Um, they, it just may be not what your setup is sure. because that's the only way they find their mother's milk is yeah. through their nose and temperature. Absolutely. And so I feel like uh, a lot of foundation work can be done with the young dogs. I think that um, where I might differ with uh, some people, and this is what I'm going to address, are the uh, pros and cons yep. and what we know about um, imprinting, mm -hmm. imprinting odor and seeking and expectancy and how that affects the development of the first year of life. So mm -hmm. I think my personal viewpoint is one to uh, take a lot of time spending more time on the behavioral well-being, behavioral well-being mm -hmm. and environmental exposure for sure. the dog so that it's a well-socialized, temperamentally sound dog yep. who's had a lot of experience and has had positive associations with all of that. And I think that, in the end, is what produces a better whether it's pro or sport, a yep. better dog. Now, obviously, as you gain more skill mm -hmm. and experience as a handler, there's a lot more things you can explore and experiment sure. with because you've developed better timing. Yep. You've maybe selected a dog that is genetically predisposed to the conditions. Mm -hmm. You have a lot of control over the, the environment. So those are the, kind of the pros and mm -hmm. cons. So not really answering your question, but, I mean, you can be starting them at, you know, sure. several weeks old to waiting yep. till they're a year, they're, you know? Yeah, I, you know, I just was going to say, you know, um, you know, I think what happens just as a species, human beings, we're so quick to want to rush to some kind of end result yep. that we we don't allow good developmental time for resiliency to be built in a dog mm -hmm. before we start putting these other expectations on that maybe the dog on the outside, and this I think happens with children all, mm -hmm. also, may look like they're w able to handle the pressure. Yep. But you start seeing it falling away later on as things become more intense because there wasn't enough built early on yeah. of that dog having resiliency. And I think people sometimes tend to rush. And sure. granted, there's always going to be variants. There's going to be individuals yeah. that can, you know, excel quickly and others that are always going to need more time. Yeah. But, um, you know, for me, like, you know, I when I think about dogs, I'm like, you should be playing, you know, even just quick find it games anything that's yep. you know building just sort of the dog's desire to want to do that and to maybe put a little effort into something in every location you can like amy was saying you know environmental exposure i know that when we are doing trials the thing that we see gets teams probably more than anything else it's not that the dog's not odor obedient mm -hmm. or um they don't have a good relationship with their handler it's really environmental issues yeah like really solid dogs will walk into a novel environment they've never seen before and that will be the thing that takes them out well think sure. about what washes out dogs for professional work yeah i mean yep. i'm sure you've had your share either you or your you know colleagues yeah. have had a dog you're like love everything about this but can't yeah. do the slippery floors or i was just say environmentally is probably one of the number one things we end up washing the dog out they have like you're bringing up the great drives are there there's certain things but environmentally they can't handle it and the extreme version of that was where i came from the past four years with the seal team program was 
not only do we need to dog all those do those things, but they're the level of, of environmental that they'd have to go through far exceeded what was normal. So environmental is extremely important in what you're bringing up, you know, whether it be creating little puzzle games is, is right. a common term, right. obviously. Right, yeah. These, these little puzzles, helping the dogs have that ability to work through something. Right. And working through it, finding success, that helps them later on. We start doing training because then they're able to find training. And what I've been lucky enough with the Duke University project with Canine Cognition, we go heavily into that and how they can make those inferences in that problem-solving ability, which gives us far more information later on. But you're right. Sometimes people get on the one piece of that, which is, oh, I'm going to do odor, and I want to imprint odor right now. And imprinting odor is only part of that equation. It's and the they, easiest piece. Correct. And teaching odor is like, I tell everybody, it takes 30 seconds to make the association. Yeah. But would you bet your life on that? Well, think about your professional dogs, anybody who's mm-hmm. a professional listening to this, like what you what happens to that dog that doesn't make it? Yeah. What, I mean, not just rhetorically, they yeah. they they go to a shelter, they go yeah. back to the breeder, yep. and or, then, or then they, they go to somebody else. They don't go anywhere sometimes, right. so yeah. it's the end of the road. You know, and the thing dog, is, yeah. people who have a sport dog or who they invest in that dog, they're they're usually not going to move on to a different dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're working professionally, you just can't afford to be the advocate for that dog. It's a, it's a tool that's used to save lives or, you know, having had a drug dog and a bomb dog and yep. it's worked both. I mean, they they have different, um, you know, capacities in which they have to work where it's critical that there can't be flaws. Sure. No, and like I said, the, the people that get into the sport are going to work with the dog they have. Exactly. They didn't have somebody come in like we're bringing up, select a dog specifically for this. And we've talked about this. One of the concerns going forward is kind of like, okay, how long is it going to take before people start doing this in the sport world because of their competitive side? Missing the point of, no, this is to be able to do with any dog and go that direction versus turning it, lack of a better term, commercialized. So I can go get this trophy. So I want to breed this with that so I can have the best detection kind of dog possible. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. Absolutely right. And you go down a slippery slope when you do that because, again, like we've seen in the working dog world, that selective breeding comes with its own set of problems later on down the road, and we want to avoid things like that. This episode was brought to you by Silver State Canine. Silver State Canine is one of the nation's premier canine training facilities. Are you somebody looking to have a professional career as a canine handler? Then attend one of our handler courses. Are you currently a handler and looking to become a canine trainer? Then attend one of our Train the Trainer courses. We also offer a variety of fully trained detection canines. Are you in the sport of nose work? Silver State Canine also has you covered. We offer a variety of nose work classes and nose work seminars. For further information, visit our website, www.silverstatecanine.com. That's www.silverstatek9.com. I wanted to just add also that, um, though I'm sure over the years, just talking to, you know, I, we've got some old timers here who will sure. tell you about detection oh, yeah. long before I was doing it. Sure. And uh, I'm sure there's things that needed improvement or change or to be more progressive mm-hmm. or evolve. But I also think, look at how we've used dogs, how long we've used them. They, the dogs always had the natural ability. Sure. So I always am concerned or 
thinking about the arrogance of humans yep. to impose that we would know how to do it better, considering Correct. what we're doing is harnessing their natural ability. They're yep. the ones with the gift. It's, yep. it's we who have to rise up to their yep. level and become better observers and better students of our own dogs. And yep. that, to, to me, is what we're getting at with a good partnership. Yeah. And, I, you know, speaking to that, and, you know, um, it is something that Ron had always talked about, you know, let's stop trying to dumb the dog down to our level, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. like Amy said, let's rise up yeah. to meet the dog where they're at. Yep. And so much, I think, of dog training in general, and as somebody that's been doing dogs for 30 years, mm-hmm. um, in some one capacity or another, and having worked in the shelter and knowing that the thing that takes dogs out is a lack of exposure weak environmental mm-hmm. um, resiliency, you know, all of that stuff. We do so many things that instead of actually trying to rise to meet the dog where they're at, where they're oftentimes way above where we really are, we just keep dragging them down. Yep. Because we don't we are, we don't know how to actually lift ourselves up to be the better handlers, the better Because that requires work. Right. <laughs> we and that's why, look at that. how many shortcuts there are, yes. now, right? And I think it's also very reinforcing for humans. To, yes. I do I do competition level obedience. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I do IPO. Yep. So I'm, I find that incredibly fun and rewarding. Sure. And um, so that control and that that rate of reinforcement that yep. I have with my dog, yep. that, that reinforces me. So sure. it's very hard to... Um, decide to hang back and let the dog learn at their own pace oh, yeah. or to develop in the way they need to we we as humans want to feel the power over them correct right yeah we we want to impart like you said our will on it and what we have to deal with is when we do things as a ripple effect and that's what we're getting at is what we see right now we want to adjust this but what happens down that line once we start that change it's the fallout effect absolutely absolutely the best trainers are the ones that can i was just sorry say the best trainers in my mind are not just the ones that can train a dog to do something Mm -hmm. but are the ones that can see things going south before it gets catastrophic Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. can catch the fallout right there and they know what to do yeah you know they can troubleshoot on the spot yep and that's often what separates the really experienced trainers from the ones that are sort of may think they are more than they're not yep you know that sure oh yeah um and i think we see that in handlers and you know um yeah i I think that's probably the thing in my mind that i think about the most is like the best troubleshooters are often the best trainers yeah and and going back to your original question about when can you start with the dog it really i think what we've tried to sum up here is that the emphasis should be on getting the dog out in the world Mm -hmm. the the more as everyone involved in the dog community can educate about how important it is for dogs to be socialized the the fact that dogs aren't welcome places Mm -hmm. because they aren't well Mm -hmm. socialized so then we don't socialize them and then they're not welcome even more places sure instead of really as a community trying to do a better job getting really really young dogs out there with kids and Yep. You know, yeah. all sorts of environmental situations. That's that's what will help make a better nosework dog. But I think you can start nosework very, very young. Yeah. Um, and play, have it just be short and quick and yes. fun and, and make positive associations. Right, you're just yeah. making positive associations and building good associations for yep. the dog. But that that should be the goal. And it doesn't have to be nosework, but it could, you could use nosework as part of that. Yeah. No, and this is a question I ask every guest that comes on here. So have you? how have you seen science and psychology become more prominent on detection dogs, both on the sport and on professionally side hmm. of things. Hmm. I know on the sport side, you guys are much more embracing of science and psychology. 
on the professional side, again, you guys having experience there, have seen resilience to that and resistance to that, mm. I should say. Mm-hmm. That resistance is now starting to crumble a little bit because you can only fight science for so long. So how have you guys seen it you know, come into play with nose work and then what's your thoughts or what you've seen in it professionally? Well, go ahead. Okay, yeah, go. I have thoughts, but I, I want to make sure I, I frame them correctly. Sure, take this second. We'll, we'll put Amy on the spot, right? <laughs> you know, I think there's some mutual benefit because the more we're even willing to um, explore the science of mm-hmm. how dogs do things, um, on the science side, those people who are conducting studies are gaining better access and, and trying to work with greater numbers of dogs to have to have information that's statistically significant Mm -hmm. and to also accept you know the hard part about science with dogs is there's so many variables like Mm -hmm. it's like when you just read all the the details that go into a study about what they have to care for Mm -hmm. to to make their stats reliable and their controls oh yeah you know monitored and everything Um, but you that sort of takes you away from what really happens with dogs as the true symbiotic creature that yeah. lives and breathes with us 24 mm-hmm. 7 and that's a variable that you can't account for in a laboratory experiment yep. but that doesn't mean you shouldn't do the laboratory sure. experiment you got to start somewhere yep. but i think if we just take science and impose it on dogs and say that's how it is yep. or vice versa yep. we only go with the empirical evidence yep. and not doing the science to support it both of us lose yeah. so the more that we work together yep. we will improve each other in mm-hmm. in that testing we can say all right let's look for trends sure let's say yep. this scientific experiment reveals a trend mm-hmm. maybe to me it only had six dogs in the study so sure. okay but at least it leaves room for exploration let's at least ask the questions and consider and start looking for the empirical evidence to see if now we could provide more information that helps somebody develop a better study yep. and now see if we can make those dogs yep. available. Yeah. And we certainly saw that working with the uh, U.S. Naval Research Laboratory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. um, in our project that we did with them, it was really fantastic. Uh, Lauren, who is here speaking at the conference, yeah. uh, um, is going to be publishing that paper soon and it was so helpful to see a group of scientists that were so interested in the whole picture of um, taking a large group of dogs of different breeds and and looking at how we can really harness the yeah. power of that. It, and you know, for me, when it comes to science, I'm sort of a I like the, I'm the science geek too. I like reading sure. the studies and what I don't understand. I surround myself by people that are smarter than me. Mm, sure. So that I'm like okay, I do the same. You know, it's like <laughs> while you, know, you guys are oh, sitting here and I'm over here. <laughs> and, you know, it's like you know always wanting to understand things you know uh, more clearly, especially from the science and data side. Yep. But I think where it sometimes falls apart is that. A lot of the studies that I see are designed to support the pre-existing hypothesis. Yep. And so all the data is geared to support what they already believe. You're right. There's some biases that go into There's it. There's biases yeah. that Supporting go a into the design of the, the study. Yep. And, you know, that's just how things work, you know, in yep. life sometimes. But then the, on the other side is the people that sort of are in the field or applying things mm-hmm. in real time, out mm-hmm. in the real world will pick and choose the the, the studies and like. the research yep. that supports what they already believe. Yeah. So if you have a belief you're gonna you're gonna always quote and well oh, this yeah. study says well I'm like well there's ten other studies that say differently. Sure. Right. So I think there's a and this is just outside of even the dog mm-hmm. world, you know, this big 
um, issue with, you know, they, we need both, but it needs to be sort of an honest discussion and much more clear mm-hmm. in how things are designed. Um, and the great thing about being able to work with Lauren and the Naval Research Lab is yeah. the number of dogs now that's available to work. Yep. So you're getting, you know, numbers, not five or six, but you're getting Correct. something much more statistically viable yep. in number-wise yeah. than might have been available before. Yeah. No, and Dr. Hare, when I've got to sit down and, and spend my time with him, because people critiqued all the different versions of his science, and he said, look, mm-hmm. my big goal was, he's like, I, I started a platform, went here. He goes like, so I decided to create citizen scientists. I deputized the community because I needed numbers. Mm-hmm. And he goes, and despite some of the imperfections of the study, through all the noise, I can find certain trends that exist. And that's the part I want to. He's like, I'm always motivated by the phenomenon. Right. When I see the phenomenon, I want to know why. That's a great way to put right. it. Yeah. So We can push each other in that way. Correct. So. Correct. So instead of, you know, like I said, I've had people nitpick certain things, and he does, of course, all the time, but he said, that's fine. I expect the noise. I expect all these variables that exist because despite all of that, there will be trends. There will be things I can pick up on, and that's the, the valuable information that we pull from that. Well, and even though there are a lot of myths or there's confirmation bias or things like that that we're always trying to avoid, and which is why we conduct controlled scientific experiments, it doesn't mean that um, anecdotal or empirical evidence is mm-hmm. not valid or because that's what drives the interest in the science. You, yes. You, you see the trends. Right. So, yes, um, correct. Yeah. Yep. The world isn't flat. And, no, and, exactly right. And, and dog training <laughs> is a perfect example of that, right? You yeah. Know, it's like, well, this is how, well, this is, how, I mean, you probably know this even better than us. Well, this is how it's always been done. Yes. Your, <laughs> Famous your, saying in our world. Your boss did it this way. Their yep. boss did it this way. The and craft like, mentality. This is, you know. Yeah. And it, exactly, level. and so you know that becomes something that's okay. So this is how it's always been done, and maybe there's a legitimate reason why. Yep. But let's actually find out. Yep. Because are you making? I always say never make a job harder than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Never make your dog work harder than they need to work. Mm-hmm. Like, and if there's a way that we can be effective and efficient and not make things more difficult than they need to, then that's what we should be striving for. Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, we can get more things done. Yeah. And, um, you know, so that this is how we've always done it. That's what we really need, sort of science and data collection. To Challenge say, it. Yeah, to say, you know what, you are on the right path. Mm-hmm. Or, or you know, develop, yeah. Or, yeah. or say, you know what, you might want to make this mm-hmm. change, yep. and you'll get better outcomes. And what's nice about nosework dogs, and this is where professional and sport and science can all come together, is... We can afford to take more risks. You, mm-hmm. you can't really take a bunch of certified explosives dogs sure. and be experimenting <laughs> exactly. with them. Exactly, no, not so and much. And so we actually can use this body of uh, enthusiasts yeah. who are dedicated and have trained to a standard. We can, we can, they can actually be a great support system for yeah. the development of knowledge and science that supports the detection, yep. the professional detection community. So I, we yep. see it as a really uh, mutually beneficial. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and what's really great too is even though the like even the research recently that we were uh, um, helping with um, with making dogs available is that some of the information becomes valid for what we're trying to Mm -hmm. impart as it relates to our philosophy, method, whatever people want to say. It's like, you know, hey, there's some interesting information that we're seeing here Mm -hmm. that could actually be valuable for those folks that are out there that are competing at with a detection in a detection style sport so it's kind of had this really great sort of side effect as well. You know, it's going to help people out, you know, on day to day and then also 
help handlers and teams improve on the sports side, which ultimately helps dogs. Absolutely. Because the better people feel about dogs, the better the general public sees dogs in a positive light. Yeah. You know, it actually can make life easier for those that are out in the field working professionally in law Correct. enforcement and other areas because people have a different emotional response to seeing dogs mm-hmm. out in the general. Like, so there's so much symbiosis that can happen. Yeah. And, you know, I, that's one of the things I also feel so grateful to have an opportunity to be a part of that is mm-hmm. to create sort of this um, everything sort of works together to make something better yeah. in the long run. No, I agree. Instead of the, the nitpicking of, well, you're not this and we're not that, there is still so much to be gained, and like you talked about, the IPO in Schutzen World, that existed, and law enforcement has found a way to work together. There's been trainers that have gone back and forth to both sides, so I see the exact same thing within nose work, and which leads me to where when I first got into this, there was just nose work one, two, and three, and since then, now there's nose work one, two, and three, elite one, two, and three, and now summit. summit. <laughs> exactly. So where do you guys see nose work coming the next five years or going to in the next five years? Well, besides the fact that it's growing internationally now, yeah. so that's one piece. I think that uh, the greatest thing about the way we've set this up is that we can we can always, in some way, reinvent ourselves yep. and respond to what the people who are participating want yep. in their yep. own sport. Yeah. Even though it was our vision, as long as it holds true to what we hope will happen for dogs... Yep. Um, we can explore a lot of options. There may be there may be other venues, the other um, levels that sure. are added. We yep. will, you know, maybe we'll be looking at um, dogs who have uh, limitations, whether yep. from age or physical, sure. or yep. you know. And the nice thing is, we can just create whatever we want. So Absolutely. we we spend a lot of time listening to what the membership of yeah. our sport organization says and yeah. what our instructors tell us. And I think. Um, there's a lot of possibilities. Yeah. And the thing, too, is, like, people come to us, well, you know, well, what do you think about this group that started and this group that's starting? And, you know, there's always, when, when you create something and develop something from the ground up and you put a lot of that effort in, you know, there's always going to be, I mean, it, it would be dishonest mm-hmm. to say, oh, no, who cares? I mean, yeah. you always go, oh, you know, whatever. But honestly, it gives people, it, it's, it's like a bigger menu to choose from for people. Mm-hmm. You know, not everything is going to be somebody's cup of tea sure and you know we appreciate that if you we know, what, should keep us on our toes right. that's how if, i look at it yeah. it's a right. good thing if you, absolutely if, if what we're doing is not uh fulfilling whatever your need is mm-hmm. you know then you know then you should seek the things that bring you joy and bring joy to, for your dog i mean we always tell people birch does not blow up sure yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah you know not the end of the world it's not that's the right. end of the yeah. world um, Emotionally, maybe, but you know. Yeah, I mean, some people still are in therapy. Sure. I totally yes, understand that. Exactly. But as long as more people are getting out there with their dogs right. and yeah. doing things with their dogs and honoring who their dogs are, yes. what path they? Yes, do we hope it's with us? But sure. we hope it's wherever they do yeah. it. So. And the other thing too is, even if somebody does not ever have any interest in competition, yep. That they can take the foundational principles of what we've sort of kind of packaged in a, in a way mm-hmm. that they could just do this at home with their dog mm-hmm. to give them something to do mm-hmm. that you know is not no pressure of competition they have no interest or they just want to have something at the end of a work day they want to tire their dog out yeah like it gives somebody a structure to follow that's awesome also we yeah. don't want to lose that availability we to don't dogs. want it yeah. to be all as great sport. as the competition yeah. thing as great as that is ultimately it's about a much bigger picture of creating 
a different way of looking at dogs and how we live with them. Yep. That, like, I used to always say the worst word that ever happened to dogs was the word pet. Yeah. And I, I wrote an article many years ago called Let's Get Rid of the Word Pet and Call mm-hmm. Them Working Companion Dogs. Okay. Because, to me, the most bomb-proof dog mm-hmm. is the solid, completely environmentally sound, mm-hmm. you know, family dog. Because yep. they have to navigate a variety of environments, personalities, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. And if we can help contribute to bring that to more dogs, to give them an opportunity to sort of be that dog, yep. I think, you know, if the competition side went away, I think that's... I would be ha- I would be okay with that. Sure, sure. You know, so um, I think that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Getting a little philosophical. <laughs> yeah. <they're- laughs> well, I'm before- in that mode today. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say before we continue cooking to death in this mm. Palm Springs, Southern California sun, as we sit out here, mm. I know people feel so sorry for us as they listen to this. I know they're bleeding. Hard. Yeah, I know, right? What, Jill? What do you have coming up? Is there anything coming up seminar-wise, or any uh, big events coming up your way? And then, how do people get a hold of you? Um. I think one of the, uh, what I have coming up uh, in the short term, um, I've got a couple of international trips. Um, both Amy and I are, do, we both instruct the, uh, the certification program mm-hmm. for canine nosework instructors. Okay. So um, I've got some happening um, internationally, and uh, Amy's got a few that are coming up locally. If anybody's interested in the instructor program, they can just email educationinfo at nacsw.net, and um, we'll send them some information on that. Um, Also, I have an intro uh, to nose work featuring shelter dogs, which is actually applicable to a bunch of different kinds of dogs. Nice. uh, we're going to be using uh, dogs at uh, in Denver, Colorado. Nice. Okay. And that uh, information will be on Facebook and on our website at caninenosework.com. Okay. Yeah. Perfect. You. And um, <laughs> I have a uh, seminar coming up in Pasadena, California on March Sunday, March 10th, that is hosted by Java Canines, which uh, it's one of my favorite seminars that I put together. It's an all-day lecture. It's non-working your dogs. Mm-hmm. It has incredible video, um, and it's called Dogs and Odor Painting the Scent Picture. Nice. And it's all about what we're seeing as observers, that dogs tell us about exactly how odor is moving. Nice. Um, so that's coming up. And then this year, we are... Um, we every year run these canine nosework training camps mm-hmm. with our colleague Dana Krevling of Dogs, of course. And so there are three training camps throughout the year. There's one in Georgia in April. There's one in Pennsylvania in okay. September. And there's one in Colorado in October. So you can go to dogsofcourse.com okay. for more information on the training camps. Yeah, Perfect. those are fun because yeah. we could have like, you know, upwards it's, of 96 It's teams. like language it's immersion for yes. nose Yeah, work. it's awesome. Yeah. I need to set that up when you guys come to Vegas for one of those because <laughs> then it's going to be immersion. They get to have the fun. They're a little bit of partying and then they get to go do this, which I already saw in Colorado. You guys still have fun even when it's snowing out there. Oh, my yes. God. So, yeah, so. And that's the other thing I have to say about the nose work community which i always think is so funny when i talk to like um law enforcement professionals or military professionals that work with dogs and they're complaining and bitching about the weather sure, and, yeah. and i'm like let me just tell you i was in a, a nose work camp and it was you know 15 degrees yeah. with sideways blowing wind and yep. i was working with a 75 year old woman with a <laughs> yeah. you know a labrador retriever yeah. and she was smiling and having oh, a great yeah. time so you no. know let, let's kind of you know oh yeah some no I've, let's I've, have some perspective I've, on you know i've seen it firsthand there's some pe- there's some people that have competed in nose work that have blown me away and i always said no way if i saw them walking down the street expect that and they do an amazing job so it, you can never judge a book by a cover when it comes to 
the, the people that compete within the sport, you know, because like you said, some of the professionals I know would have been complaining a lot sooner than that than what some of these other people have gone through. I, I know. I'm like, sometimes I'm looking at them like, I. Are you sure you want to be out there? Like, yes, <laughs> let's do it. And like, I'm like, I want to go and get warm. And they're like, no, no. let's do another surge. I'm like, okay. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I want to thank you guys both so much for coming on. I appreciate you guys. You know, you know, as we got to talk beforehand and being included in part of this now, and what I hope to be more included in as it, as it goes down with uh, my going out to Las Vegas and, and being at Silver State Canine, that we were able to do even more and help out in any kind of way. But I greatly appreciate you guys coming on the podcast and you know giving. Thanks for asking us. Oh, yes, no. It's right. a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I, I want, like I said, I want this to be a platform for anybody to get information, and this is one of the big ones that I look at is so helpful for all the reasons we brought in the in the podcast, so I thank you guys very much. Oh, you're welcome. Well, we appreciate being here, and uh, as Ron, who would have been 75 this week, he's would have just wanted to know that everyone's out there having a good time with their dog and honoring who their dog is. Absolutely. Well, everybody, as you heard the information, all that, all those uh, uh, email addresses and websites will be on the uh, show notes. But I appreciate everybody listening to Talking Sense, and it's okay to be nosy. I hope everybody enjoyed Episode 2, found it interesting, and got to learn stuff about canine nose work. Hopefully it motivates you to potentially compete in this program uh, or at least start paying attention to it. It's a very, very large program. So episode three is next. My last interview from the CNCA conference. I get to sit down with Greg Tawney, the guy and partner of the creation of Police Canine Radio, another great podcast that shares information specifically towards the Police Canine market. There's also great information on that program as well for detection dogs and so forth. So that episode's coming up in a couple weeks. Hope you guys enjoyed. Look forward to episode three. We'll talk to you later.